This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Well, today on Dreamland, we have, coincidentally, something very unusual. Uh, we are talking to someone who actually understands synchronicity and coincidences scientifically. Now, you and I know, folks, that we have talked about synchronicities and coincidences just a few times on this show over the years. But Dr. Bernard Beitman is a scientist, he's a psychiatrist, and more than that, in, a se in the sense that he has figured out some of the physics of why and how this happened. It's real, but it not only that, you can bring it into your life. It's not something that has to just happen to you from time to time. You can make it part of the way you are. We're going to be talking about all of that with Bernard, and it's going to be very exciting. His book, Meaningful Coincidences, which by a, I don't think it's a coincidence. It's right behind him. You can see it. Uh, and yeah, right, get, get that, figure it out. Um, uh, is uh, quite a wonderful book. It's not long, and it is very uh, thorough, but the most important thing is it tells us how this all works. Now, I thought we would start, Bernard, and welcome to Dreamland, by the way. Uh, Thank you very much, Whitley. Yeah. Uh, and... And Trish McGregor says hi, so thank you. For you know Trish, do you? Well, you would. I mean, she's the synchronicity. She's been on this show about talking about synchronicities many, many times. Yep. Yeah. She's got a podcast on Unknown Country. In oh, fact. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and she's available. She's a, a wonderful podcaster, and she's here every week. Uh, so note that, folks. Um, and go to Mystical Underground and listen to her podcast. Oh, by the way, we have a surprise coming up for you folks. Jeremy Vaney is going to return. He's going to be doing one Dreamland a month. I couldn't convince him to start his old podcast again, but he jumped at that. And so we will be having Jeremy back with us, which is going to be a lot of fun. All right. Now, let's, let's uh, start with this. Coincidences. Weird coincidences. You make a distinction. What is that distinction? What is the distinction between an ordinary coincidence and something else? The distinction li lies in the adjective you use in front of the word. Because the word coincidence has uh, a neutral meaning. Uh, and I, 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 to, to define it in, in kind of a more elaborate way, a meaningful coincidence is the coming together of two or more events in a surprising, unexpected, and improbable way that seems to have significance to the person experiencing it, either at the moment or in retrospect, and this is the key part for Whitley, may seem to have a possible explanation. It may seem to have a possible explanation. We don't know whether it does or whether it doesn't. So it's neutral in regard to meaning, the word coincidences. But if you put adjectives in front of it, which people do, on the one hand, the random people like to say mere, only, just a coincidence, while the more meaning-oriented people will put 
meaning in front of the word or use the word synchronicity or possibly serendipity to suggest that there's something significant to me and that there might be a cause. You know, we talk about synchronicities all the time on the show, but I don't think anyone's ever actually said where that word comes from. And I, I'm sure you know the story of how that happened in Dr. Jung's life, because sure. the, the story comes from Carl Jung. He's, he coined the word synchronicity because of, of a synchronicity, actually, of an extraordinary coincidence that happened in his life. Uh, can you tell us that story? Well, let's let's go back to that 1973 or so publication uh, written before that by Carl Jung uh, called Synchronicity. And Jung didn't use the word synchronicity for meaningful coincidence. He used meaningful coincidence usually, but the word synchronicity had a different origin for Jung. That origin had to do with his trying to figure out how meaningful coincidences took place. Many of them that he was interested in would currently be called psi events. So he's trying to think, how can I come up with this? And he came up with the word synchronicity and defined it as an a-causal connecting principle. By a-causal connecting principle, he meant that there was some cause other than the one we usually use when we say A causes B, and the cause he was referring to was meaning. He thought that meaning connected the external event, which usually happens with co coincidences, and the internal event. They're not always that way. Sometimes they're internal events to other per person's internal events, and sometimes there's the neglected ver version that is called seriality, where the the parts of the coincidence can be observed by anybody else. These I call object-object coincidences because you can see them. So Jung used the term synchronicity as an a-causal connecting principle. He uh, had a patient um, who be, who became a new uh, who was a Nobel Prize winner um, who came to him because he was having trouble after his wife dropped him, uh, and he got to know quantum physics through his patient, who they became colleagues. And they wrote a monograph where synchronicity was one part of it, and the other part was more about, um, about quantum mechanics. So he used the term to suggest that there is a way of understanding meaningful coincidences that is outside of the way science of his time, and currently really, thinks about the way things happen, that there isn't just cause and effect, there's meaning. So what he, what he tried to do was introduce this idea with the almost apocryphal story you're referring to uh, that became the, the legend of synchronicity, if you will. It became the primary sto story, the first story the one that's repeated most often to illustrate synchronicity. And before I tell you the story, part of the way of defining synchronicity is illustrated currently, is illustrated in this story. And I use the word synchronicity now because most people use the word synchronicity to define meaningful coincidence, to mean meaningful coincidence. I'm trying to suggest, well, come on, 
it's not just synchronicity. Serendipity is getting some good scientific work, some research done primarily in European universities. So the serendipity is also a form of meaningful coincidence, as I as I'm sure I'll get into later. But I'll use the term yeah. synchronicity. I'll use the term synchronicity to describe uh, the scarab story that uh, you, Whitley, are referring to. And after the break, Free Dreamlanders, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to the scarab story. We'll be right back. We're talking to Bernard Beitman. His book, Meaningful Coincidences, his website, coincider.com, lovely website. It's got a blog on it. And he has his own podcast, uh, which he's been doing. You've been doing your podcast for a while now. Uh, 2016, mostly radio. And then the last couple of years, it's been on YouTube. So how did we find you on YouTube? Um, you just put connect, put my name in, it'll get there to it. You'll get my podcast. You'll get my psychology today blog, which has been around since 2016 has gotten about a million looks and you'll also find my book ah okay good and, well that's and a, my website and my website yes yeah and that's how to get into this so which would not be a it would not be a coincidence if a lot of my that's right get into it you are now describing the difference once you know the cause of what was a coincidence it is no longer a coincidence Let's talk about that. Let's talk about patterns of coincidence. Your chapter on patterns of coincidence starts out, humans seek coherent structure and order. We see patterns. Now, sometimes we don't, we see patterns that aren't there. And for example, pareidolia, the seeing of faces in places where there are no faces. Uh, now, um, but before we do that, I don't want to annoy my listeners because I want to finish the Jung story of his first synchron discovery of his the first synchronicity that sort of stopped him and made him realize something weird was going on. Well, he started with synchronicity in the 1920s, so he was talking to his groups about him, and he was kind of afraid to bring it up um, to the general public or even his colleagues because uh, outside of the group he was talking with because he thought he would be called crazy, which is an important part of all this, that as a mental health professional, as a psychiatrist, I am trying to tell mental health people just because a person has a lot of coincidence is doesn't mean they're crazy. But that's another subject. By the time he young reached like in his 70s, he said, OK, I got to get this out there. And he wrote the monograph. Uh, synchronicity. And the central story involves a dream and a scarab. And this has been paid a lot of attention, particularly by me. I've written about it several times on my Psychology Today posts, because there's something really strange about this particular synchronicity, as we'll call it now. <clears throat> but I'll describe the basics of it first. He had a patient, a young woman, who was caught in an iron, iron retort of rationality. He couldn't break her rationality, trying to help her become more emotional and more intuitive, it seemed like. But she wouldn't do it. And he was like, ah, I can't. So one day, 
she came in with a story because Jungians try to get their patients to bring in dreams. So she brought in a dream, like a good patient, and described a piece of jewelry, a golden scarab ring. Now, a scarab ring, a scarab is an beetle, uh, and it's Egyptian term. The scarab in, in Egyptian refers to death and transformation. And Jung is very much into the archetypes of, of symbols. And so this was a very important symbol for him that maybe this meant there was going to be a transformation in her. So he had been waiting for an opportunity to break through that iron retort of her rationality and heard this dream. And around the same time, he heard a tap, tap, tapping on his window pane. This is in Zurich, Switzerland. And he went to the window and opened it up. And lo and behold, what did he find? But a scarab-like beetle. That is actually pretty common in, in Geneva. I mean, in Switzerland around that time, especially in Zurich. Now, this beetle loves roses. So they're, this is part of where its name comes from in in, in Switzerland. So he, he got this rose-interested beetle and brought it over to his patient and in his palm had the beetle and said, here is your scarab. According to his legend, and I'll put it that way as a legend, the woman blew up her iron retort of rationality and therapy proceeded well. So the so Jung's story ended. Is that enough? Well, there's one curious part of this, but there are many others. There aren't too many coincidences in which one person is the mediator of the coincidence for the other. It's usually I'm here with me and you're here with you or something happens out there like a media thing is something that you just thought of. Here, Jung was looking for a way to help this person. So Jung was in need as well. And he found the scarab, scarab-like beetle, and brought it over to her. So he was an intermediary between this woman and her unconscious and her subconscious and her intuition. Now, I, I've, I've, I thought of this as Jung presenting a kind of mythology of himself because this story was a great metaphor for what Jung was trying to do for modern scientific thought. He was trying to say materialism is not right. Break through the retort of your rationality, of your materialism, and notice that there's more going on in your subconscious that we need to be pay, paying attention to. That was his metaphor. That was his mythology. So that's part of the story. But there's probably more. Uh, Eric Wargo, is looking, who's into precognition, was looking into how she might have participated in this synchronicity. Because one of the things people forget is that there are often two people involved. And the other person, not just you, not just Jung, are involved in making the coincidence happen. So Wargo thought, looking back on, 
on literature about this woman, and there had been accumulated information about her, that maybe she was precognitive, and her dream was a precognitive cognitive dream about what was going to happen the next day. This brings a different light to the whole story, and there's probably more to it, but I, that is the fundamental synchronicity story of the synchronicity discussions that most people have. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's fascinating, and it's, it's a good place to begin because you left us with some mysteries, that there's probably more to it. And actually, we were to find out ex exactly that. There is more to it. Let's talk now about patterns of coincidence. Uh, one of the most interesting chapters in, in the book is the different, the way you've organized coincidence into different patterns. And later we're going to talk, folks, about the about physics and coincidence and statist statistics and coincidence, but I promise you, you're not going to be bored because you're going to come away from this understanding what this is and learning how to participate consciously in it because amazingly enough, Bernard is, is there. You know, before we go, I had meant to do this at the beginning. Uh, I want to read a uh, statement made by Jeff Kripal. You you got a blurb from Jeff, and Jeff is such a good. He does great blurbs. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, he's a and everybody on this show knows Jeff, of course, because we wrote Supernatural together. He's been on the show many times. He's going to be on the show again soon. We're wonderful. We've wonderful. Got a really wild show planned with him and a man named John Santos, and probably some others. Maybe Diana Pasulka. We're not sure yet. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be interesting. Anyway, here's what he said about meaningful coincidences. Bernard Beitman has given us something fundamentally new and helpful here, a careful and rigorous modeling of coincidences that are not just coincidences, and then a way of practically integrating them into our lives, thought, and public culture. Many writers have commented on this subject. None have been this careful, though, this thorough, and frankly, this eloquent, which is very true. If I may, Dr. Beitman makes the impossible possible. Welcome to the psychosphere. Yeah. Now, you know, we all have these things floating around in our lives, and they blow your mind, but there's more there. There's, there is a, there's a ghost in this machine, and we're going to get, get, to expose that ghost to your view, folks, and your ears uh, soon. Now, we're going to start by talking about patterns of coincidence. Can you divide for us, define the different patterns of coincidence at, that you see, and uh, then we're going to go from there and, and, and get, get a little deeper into this whole story. Oh, Are you referring? Wait, wait, before we go on, folks, and... I always like to surprise my dream, free dreamlanders this way. I'm sure they're used to it. You're getting a break here, but it's a commercial break. We'll be right back. We're back with Bernard Beitman, Dr. Beitman's book is Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. His website is the coincidence or I mean is coincider.com where you can 
get involved in the Coincidence Project. You can read his blog, uh, listen to his podcasts, and much more. And it's no coincidence at this moment that we're going to talk about patterns of coincidence. Uh, and uh, we paused a moment for Bernard to bone up on these and because they're very, it's very important here, folks, because we're going to figure out coincidence in this show in ways that you've never heard before. We're going to start by defining our terms. Let's talk about object mind and object coincidences. Uh, thank you, Whitley, because uh, I very much appreciate your focusing on this uh, because it may not be uh, apparently uh, the best place to start in understanding coincidences, but it is because it takes it out of the kind of uh, what does serendipity actually mean? What does synchronicity actually mean? What is a meaningful coincidence? It, those are kind of abstract and words that are filled with lots of projections from people's ideas about what they might mean. So I've tried to to begin the development of a science of meaningful coincidences. And in order to do a good science, a good science starts with good description. A good science starts with good description. From the good description, from a taxonomy of coincidences, this complex territory can be put into patterns from which order, usefulness, and explanation can emerge. Say that again, order, how to organize them, usefulness, and explanation, because the two primary meanings, as we may get to in more detail, the two primary meanings are usefulness and explanation. When people think about coincidences, they want to know how to use them, and they want to know how to explain them. So I broke down serendipity, Synchronicity and seriality, remember that's, I'll tell you, object-object coincidences, into just the two basic aspects of all meaningful coincidences. All meaningful coincidences have either mind, something going on in your mind, which can include emotions like grief and sensations, pain, and they also can in, do include thoughts, feelings, emotions, and sensations and images. There's a lot going on in our minds. So when I say mind, I mean all those things and probably more. Usually the most common coincidences involve a mind, a thought, a feeling, something in your own mind, and an object in the external world, a thing usually, something out there, it could be a person. Objects are events that occur in the public sphere so that someone else could possibly observe them. So, object, observable by others, mind only observable by you. Okay? So the mind-object coincidences, as I've mentioned, are the most, most common, least have the widest variety, and from my research, tend to be the most common. In this case, the coincider, and I'm using the word coincider to refer to the person experiencing the coincidence. I think the term experiencer is just too broad. 
here. Yeah. Especially on this show, we use that to be experiencers of close encounters. So, yes, yeah, very we, yes, and this is to be distinguished from all the other ones. Oh, oh very definitely, much. very definitely. Thank you, very definitely. So the coincider thinks, imagines, and feels something that is paralleled, paralleled in the world outside the mind. To varying degrees, each object has a form and a meaning that resonates with something in the mind of the coincider. The objects out there can be people, animals, plants, inanimate objects like words and books on the internet, and in speech and music. They can be lost or needed objects like keys or money. They can be visuals in real life, like movies, plays, videos, photographs, paintings, and drawings. Objects can also be machines, divining cards. I, I love tarot cards. I've, I've been a tarot card reader for many years, and they, these also are objects that reflect what's going on in people's minds. And in some cultures besides cars, they use the entrails of animals and tea leaves. Well, Any and there's also the Tao Te Ching. Um, the I Ching, you. excuse me, the I Ching. You uh, bet. Uh, the, yes. let, let me ask you this about, about the cards and, and the I Ching. There's some kind of a mechanism there. There's something behind these things that makes it work. Uh, in other words, it's, it's, it's an introduction of it's a let me put it this way i think of it as an inte an in, uh, an intentional introduction of randomness but it's not random is it there's something else going on what, yes. how would you say what is that yes as why, why do the cards work yes as alice in wonderland liked to say it gets curiouser and curiouser exactly does. And so to become curiouser and curiouser is to recognize that you and I are curious. And curiosity is essential to recognizing and using coincidences because you got to be looking and wondering. So it becomes curiouser and curiouser. So I would do these tarot card readings and the same is true with the I Ching. And it's almost easier to talk about the I Ching, but they both have, I think, a fundamental similarity. They're both divining things, and they both use, what, random? What's random? Is the universe random? We might go into that a little bit later, Willie, but that the idea of random is really a fun problem that I like to be able to address with statisticians, but that's another thing. Well, we're going to talk, talk about statistics in a minute. You know, I have to mention just in passing that this is seemingly off the subject, but it's really not. The Webb Telescope is in the process of discovering, apparently, the Big Bang didn't happen. And so, you know, overlying this whole conversation is a bigger conversation of where are we and what are we? And there's some kind of a web woven here that we're in. And you're talking about living in and noticing that web. And once you start to notice the web, you start to notice these coincidences. Yes, you do. Yeah, uh, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the founder and president of the Coincidence Project. And our vision statement 
is to illuminate the hidden currents that connect and unite us. The web that you are talking about. Right. And tell us a little bit how we can participate in the Coincidence Project. The, you start with going to my website and you get ready to go to the Coincidence Project website, which is currently in formation. And you begin to think about joining us in the Coincidence Cafe, which meets every third Saturday of the month on Zoom from 11 to 12.30 a.m. p.m. to on Eastern time. And I, if you contact me and you're interested, uh, I can put you on the list of the Coincidence Cafe, where, by the way, you can get a cup of Serendipa tea. <laughs> Great. I love your sense of humor. <laughs> Some you. of my guests are really very serious, and that's fine. I'm, I'm often very serious, too. Well, not that often, but I am very serious at times. Uh, I want to I want to share a coincidence with you. This, good, 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 good. Uh, this is a life coincidence. Involves okay. my mother. Good. My mother was born in a house on St. Mary's Street in San Antonio, Texas, in 1916. She lived her whole life in San Antonio. Uh, her own home that she and my father built was about four or five miles away from this house. Over the years, the house was sold and sold again. The area became part of downtown San Antonio. My family uh, donated another house on the property to a school called Providence High School, which is still part of Providence High School. And this house became a funeral home. When my mother passed away, she was buried from that funeral home. And we, we were so surprised by the fact that she was being buried from the same house she was born in. We looked at the old plans and the casket during the service rested in the room where she was born. Oh, isn't that wild and beautiful in a way? Definitely beautiful, wonderful, beautiful. Yeah. Okay, now, you're here. You're the guy. You're the wise man here. Explain this. Give me some ideas about why things like this happen. Because later on, folks, we're going into some really deep coincidences that he's got in this book that will completely blow your mind. Uh, like, like that one <laughs> just blew his. So tell us about these things. Tell us more. Why? Why is that? What, what is the? What is the structure? What is the hidden piece of the universe behind something like that? Well, any any time a person tells me a story, and this is what I'd like to be able to do with you. Yes, it's not my podcast; it's your podcast. But I, I'm glad you bring a story in because that really helps this whole thing go go for me. It's of a dialogue, course. and I love the dialogue with you. So. The first question I ask is, what did this meaningful coincidence mean to you? It moved me deeply. Oh, you know, wait a minute, folks. I have got some very, very good news. 
you're going to see some commercials if you're not a subscriber, which you've seen before. But I urge you, look at them in a new way. We'll be right back. We're talking and having, <laughs> frankly, at least me, I'm having a great time with Bernard Beitman. You know, I, I don't do this. I do this for sort of what I would describe as serious fun. And yes. uh, this this show, and, and I know Bernard does his show the same way. You you listen to it and you can hear the fun he's having right in his voice. And I'm having a lot of fun too. Now, we're going to diverge a little bit because we just had a coincidence. This moment, he... Uh, uh, we stopped, we pause. When I, when I do the break, we pause. And at, as we were pausing, Bernard said, uh, I guess you're going to be putting your Jesus book in this. And I thought, and I said, well, I don't talk about my books when uh, I'm, talk I'm on the show. I'm talking about your books. But the break you just saw was the break the Jesus commercial was in, and that is written in the in the, in the list of commercials already. So he brings that up out of nowhere, just before the break where the commercial is actually going to appear. Now, how did that happen, Bernard? Okay. How did that happen? <laughs> well, as I was trying to mention before, if you've got an explanation, it's no longer. A coincidence if and I will give you what I think is the exp is an explanation um, there I, I had seen uh, one of your podcasts recently like yesterday or and I noticed that there was a change in your tone of voice as you started to introduce what came on to be the Jesus book commercial and the tone of voice that you just ended this segment with reminded me of the tone of voice I heard from you before the Jesus commercial was aired that when I was watching the last your podcast. So I thought maybe that might be, but there was something more than that. And I suggest to you that we're having enough of a good time here, Whitley, that uh, I am able to tune into your mind and your heart a little bit so I could pick up something in you that might have been a clue as well. Well, yeah, that's very interesting um, because, it, yeah, there's a lot of empathy, that's for sure, between the two of us. I feel it too. I'm having okay. a good time. Um, and now... Okay. Well, let's go back to my mama. And what that coincidence meant to me, it meant a lot of things. Uh, it, it spoke to me about a life that belonged to the place. She belonged to San Antonio. I don't think she left San Antonio more than three or four times. I mean, left South Texas more than three or four times during her entire life. And it was concluded in a way where it began. And it, her roots were there so profoundly. And when I go to visit her and my dad, when I go to San Antonio and in the graveyard, uh, I always think of this. And at the moment, in that morning, during the funeral, 
I whispered this to my brother. I told him this. And um, a few seconds later, I could see a tear coming down his face. And I felt it too. It was a very profound moment. I felt the coherence and the of her life and the beauty of it, frankly. That's so that's how do you respond to this? Well, it falls into a category of coincidences called coming full circle, which is part of the spiral of life, which this illustrated. It's not just a circle. It's a spiral so that she was born on one aspect of the spiral and was put put in her grave or began to be put in her grave in another aspect of the spiral directly parallel to where she started. So that's a description of a lot of other coincidences where where it comes full circle in that spiral. That's a description. That's a category that I would put your mother's story in. Then we get to how that might have happened. And one of the fundamental aspects of really good coincidences, and this was really a good one, is, uh, is resonating, is the, the resonation of place. And you made it so clear that your mother resonated with San Antonio, resonated with her living there, resonated with the birthplace that she came back to. And that resonance is as close as I can get to how this works. That resonance is so important that we seek, like in music, we like to hear harmony. This was harmony in her life as well as the life of her boys. Now, there's something deeper behind that. Go ahead. You're talking about harmony. And I'm looking now at a universe filled with harmony. Yes. Is that what coincidence is? is? Are we seeing the, the, the tips and edges and shadows of harmony in the universe when we do? Yes. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that and what it means to you. Because obviously you have a very deep personal commitment to this harmony. Yes. Yes. And I love to dance. Uh, and uh, when I dance, I can get with the rhythm of the music and I become part of the music. So it's one of the nice things to be able to do. My wife, uh, I, just, is, just for an aside, go ahead. once said to me, Whitley, you actually don't dance like a truck. You dance like a bus. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I love to dance too. Um, and that lady looking over my shoulder is winking at us because... Oh. Uh, Good. We used to go dancing, and she sure tried hard not, not to get herself killed. That's about the best <laughs> I can say. Let's, uh, yeah, let's yet, go back yet, to it. Well, yeah, you did get out there and move. And that, that the point of all this is the need to be able to move. If you move around, you increase the likelihood of coincidence. Not all the time. Your mother didn't move, but she moved around a lot within San Antonio. But that's another story. What are what is this story about your mother telling us about resonance, talking about harmony, what talking about how things work around us? Well, here on Earth, we're full of polarities. 
this polar polar polarities is part of being uh, a being on earth black and white night and day uh, all those things that we know good and bad are we live in this polarity, but this polarity doesn't have to be always so bad. And coincidences, the negative sides and coincidences tell us there's more potential here, that the we are probably part of a spiral ourselves, each one of us. And one of my favorite ideas is a sine wave. A sine wave goes like this. And a sine wave is a description of how energy moves, light and sound, are ups and downs. But so, if you take a spiral that's laid off like this, a, double, a helix like in the DNA molecule, and you slice that helix to make it two dimensions, you're going to find a spiral. So spirals are essential parts of our life thing the DNA molecule, and so many other things. In addition, when you look at a spiral or a, at a sine wave and just take this part of it, it looks very much like the bell-shaped curve, which, is descri which describes a lot of aspects of normality, of, you know, if there's how many, the, how many people are, of a, are really short as on one tail, how many people are really tall or in the other tail, and the middle has most of the people who are average. So the idea of a sine wave covers a lot of what happens in this reality. And what I think you're doing, Whitley, I'm hearing it from you, and I've seen what you're writing about, how you think. We're trying to understand the nature of reality. And part of understanding the nature of reality is to be able to see that this sine wave thing happens a lot. And if you get two sine waves going together, you get harmony. And if you get two sine waves going at different at differences from each other at the right difference, you get a, a musical sound, you get a chord. It's part of the way it appears at work. So we have a choice. And I think, I hope that's what you're referring to. We have a choice to become part of the harmony or not to become part of the harmony. And stories like yours say the harmony is there. It's there to be discovered and let's become part of it. And looking at meaningful coincidences is one good way to do that. Yeah, and looking at them and understanding them, and we're going to go a little deeper in just a couple of minutes into that word understanding, because I think Bernard's got the best ideas about why these things are, what this harmony is all about of anyone I've ever read. I agree completely with Jeff Kripal in this respect. Thank you uh, very thank you thank you very much. I I have to agree having read a lot that this is the best book on meaningful coincidences ever written. Oh yeah, I mean it's the truth. I mean you're not he's not blowing his own horn folks. It's just simply is the truth. And that's thank the, why we're here and why I'm having such a fabulous time because I feel like I'm really learning something here. Um <laughs> Anyway, uh, but there's also some sad news. Free Dreamlanders, I have to tell you goodbye now. And I just hate to do it, but, you know, I'm going to do it because uh, you need to pay for this. The, the site will not continue on forever without you. I mean, I, I knock along. I do. This is not a, a wealth-producing thing for sure. But the site has to pay for itself or it goes under because... Um, 
I am not a rich man. I wish I was. So do sign up. And if you don't sign up, we'll probably still see you next week. Uh, Enjoyed it so much having you with us. And Bernard and I are going to go down some fabulous paths. You're going to hear about some mind-bending coincidences. And you're going to leave the show understanding why they happen, how to find them in your life, and how to draw them into your life. Okay, subscribers, now it's just us. You and me and Bernard. And we're all alone in here. Uh, the, the, the three dreamlanders have gone their way. So, let's do this, Bernard. I think we're going to talk about... There's a section in this book, folks, that are just... It's called Six Puzzling Cases. And they're, they're going to be puzzling. And that's fine. But then after we talk about a few of them, two or three, maybe more, uh, we're going to get into the why of this. And can you draw this into your life? So can you make this part of your, the, your life experience and your structure of life? So let's talk first about... Um, uh, Let's see. Well, it's one thing to start. Just one, yeah. The the French GPS. You ready to talk about that one? Yeah. Yeah. Sharon Rollette is um, is a, written a massive book on uh, coincidences. You might like to have her on your show too. Uh, she's really got something. So this is where this story came from. Uh, philosopher Sharon Hewitt Rowlett, uh, and she recounted it in her book, The Source and Significance of Coincidences. Uh, in 2015, on a weekend getaway in Pennsylvania, she currently lives in Virginia, uh, with some college friends, Sharon was thinking about her ex-fiancé uh, with whom she had lost contact. He was living in France where they had spent time together. Both the ex and France were heavily on her mind as she went to the grocery store. She admitted that arguments with her current husband had been on the increase because of her obsessions with France and her unresolved feelings about her ex-fiancé. As she and one of her friends were searching for a supermarket to buy provisions for their evening meal, her friend who was driving pulled out her smartphone and gave it to Sharon, who asked the phone, hey, where is the nearest grocery store? The phone displayed a list of grocery stores in the immediate vicinity. But when Sharon tapped map to find the closest, the stores it displayed were all labeled a Leclerc, the name of a French supermarket chain. One of the towns was Kerhal, a town in western Brittany, France. Her college friend had never before used her phone for directions in France. As Sharon later learned by reading her ex-fiancé's blog, he had been there less than two miles from this town the same day that she came up with the supermarket chain. The French GPS incident kicked off a month of coincidences that eventually 
led to her, a talk with her ex that led to resolutions of her feelings and a renewed closeness to her husband. So here we had, tell me where the closest supermarket is, looking at her friend's GPS on the telephone, her GPS telephone, and she comes up with where her boyfriend was just around that same time. So how do you go from Pennsylvania to a map in France when the friend who gave her the phone had never been in Brittany in France? So That's, that was that big coincidence. That was one of the reasons that I wanted to bring that one up first because it's so suggestive of a presence behind it. There's something there. They want something wanted this to happen. Was it the two of them? Or was it some some inner part of them that has control over the flow of life? Or is the flow of life destined in some way? Uh, and were they being drawn back to their destinies? Uh, now, let's talk about uh, what you call unus mundus, from, from unus mundus to the psychosphere, and the Western world's reliance on an exclusive belief in cause and effect, because that ain't what's going on here. No. And you mentioned one of my absolute all-time favorite uh, writers is Wolfgang Pauli, uh, and his relationship with uh, with uh, Carl Jung. And I'm not going to go into I'm not going to go on off on a tangent about Pauli, folks, but just. For those of you who are seriously interested in the way the world works, the Pauli Jung letters are well worth reading. Okay, let's go on now. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the, this causalism and its insufficiencies and what might may be more enriching, a more enriching way to think about ourselves and our lives. Well, you've just described for this story with the French GPS some of the limitations of cause, causalness. Yeah, well, that's why I chose it first, because that's what I, where I wanted to go. Well, so we already see the limits. And you either, you either say she's making it up, which some people will do, or you say maybe this really happened. And it's very important in studying coincidences to recognize that um, – Anecdotes are evidence, even though some people say uh, anecdotes are just stories. That's not true. Uh, anecdotes are build up evidence. And I know that from being a psychiatrist in academia, needing to get papers published, that if I could put a couple of papers, a couple of cases together that had a theme to them, for example, like in a subset of patients, you can use drugs like codeine by by accident and help them with their depression, which sounds like it shouldn't happen, but it's now being shown, this was 30 years ago, uh, that that is something that happens. So you can take a case and sometimes that case reveals something that's generally true. And in this case, this illustrates something that's generally true. And one of the other principles that I'd like to be able to have you dreamlanders recognize is that if you have one weird thing happen to you, it probably has already happened to somebody else, is happening to somebody else right now, or will happen to somebody else soon. This is 
one of the principles that we have to go by. We are not just having our own experiences of reality. That leads us to wondering, well, how does that happen? How does it, we all have something in common in this way that we have weird stories uh, that are similar to other people's weird stories? Well, uh, Jung had this term unus mundus, which meant one world. And it's very much like thinking of uh, everything as unity, as it's, it's all connected. And he saw as part of this unus mundus, a, a collective unconscious of human beings, which was co connected to archetypes which existed in what he called the psychoid area of the unus mundus. And I use the word area carefully because it probably wasn't so three-dimensional. And in the psychoid place were archetypes, archetypes that were both mind and matter, or at least that what they did was shape the behavior of human beings, which is why you see a lot of repetitions across the world in, in humans of like mother, father, king, queen, uh, and, and evil, and many other archetypes, because Jung thought they existed in this psychoid psychoid area which means not quite mental but not quite physical area of the unus mundus well this one world idea has been elaborated on even more recently with uh, starting with uh, with uh, uh, wolfgang Pauli and jung talking with each other or and quantum mechanics as you're referring to quantum mechanics is trying to say it ain't really the way it is, the way you think it is, that the Newtonian world of cause and effect doesn't explain uh, spooky action, action at a distance, which was Einstein's term for entangled particles. And this is a really favorite idea among a lot of people, uh, this entangled particles thing. So you take an electron or a photon and are two of them that are paired. And that's tricky about how they're paired. That's an important part of this, but they don't pay much attention to that. They gotta be paired and there are ways to pair them. Then you separate them about a zillion yards, 100 million by a long distance. And then you do something to one electron, change its spin in one direction from another, and then the other one will do exactly the same thing at the same time. So this happens faster than the speed of light. And from Einstein's perspective, nothing can happen faster than the speed of light. So this became called non-locality, meaning where, where cause and effect takes place in a local space, but because it happens immediately, it's non-local. It happens in some other way. So he came up with ideas like, I don't know, quantum fields. That's kind of a popular thing these days, which is kind of like the unus mundus. Well, I'm just a psychiatrist from Wilmington, Delaware kind of thing. And, you know, I, that's where I grew up and played baseball and football and stuff. And I, this unus mundus one comes away in a lot of stories of near-death experiences and other ways and mystical experiences. But I like to stay here on earth as much as I can. So the unus mundus for me begins, doesn't end, begins with what I call the psychosphere, our mental atmosphere, that we all exist in a mental atmosphere that's very much like our air atmosphere. We give out energy information. We give, take in energy information and we exchange this energy information with each other and that is in the 
in the story of the French GPS, these two people were resonating strongly with each other. As you were saying, Whitley, they were thinking a lot about each other. And there's something about uh, uh, that when you're deeply connected with someone, that you can connect with them through the psychosphere. And through that connection, you can come together in the physical reality. And I think that's a beginning way of explaining what happened with the French GPS. The, um, I want to go to another case. Uh, this is the case of the balloon. Mm -hmm. And why don't you tell us this story? And then we're going to get into some, some deeper material about, well, tell us the story first, and then we'll go from there. Well, this balloon story is, is one of those that's hard to make up because um, it's been, the two girls involved with it uh, have been interviewed and their parents have been interviewed uh, and the story well documented in the media. So it's a, it's a real thing and it's still really hard to figure out how it happened. Uh, I have a, a, friend, a friend of mine and I put together a CD of songs based on some of the coincidence stories in my book, my previous book, and also this story, which was in, which is in this book too, um, that because I love this story and it's such a short one and it's real. It's uh, it's iconic now, and it's it's the story of Laura Buxton's balloon. Well, in June of two thousand one, ten year old Laura Buxton of Staffordshire, England was attending her grandparents' golden wedding anniversary. She was in need of a friend. Her grandfather thought she could find a pen pal for herself by writing her address on a label with the message, please return to Laura Buxton. It's one of the lines in the song. They attached it to a helium balloon that was part of a, the anniversary celebration and sent the balloon into the sky with a hope and a dream. A farmer in Milton Lybourne, Wilshire in England, about 140 miles away, pulled the balloon out of the hedge that separated his pastures from his neighbors. He noticed that the name Laura Buxton was on the balloon. Since this was the name of his neighbor's daughter, he brought the balloon to her. Well, the Laura Buxton from Milton was also a 10 years old girl who then wrote to the Laura in Staffordshire. And as this was such an interesting coincidence, their parents arranged for them to meet. When they met, they were wearing similar clothes, discovered they had three similar animal pets, including a three-year-old black Labrador retriever. The girls became close friends. There's interviews of them later when they were in college, talking with each other about this incident. Now, this is interesting because were they living parallel lives, maybe? Are they, you know, because there are a lot of people in this world. I know I have, in San Antonio, I have a doppelganger who is so fam looks so much like me that my brother thought I was in San Antonio one time when he saw this person pass him in the street. He was furious at me for intentionally ignoring him. 
So I get this furious phone call from him. I said, what are you talking about? I'm in, I believe I was living in New York at the time. I'm in New York City. I'm not in San Antonio. Uh, he wouldn't believe me at first. Now, so that's a, that's a lookalike, but this is... That's a lookalike, yeah. Yeah, does this go deeper to these girls? Were they... They, were, they had similar clothing, similar pets. Were they similar people? What, what was so, going on there? I, that I don't know how similar they were, but they were, they were coherent enough together to become friends. It was something that allowed them to continue their relationship past the balloon. Now, it doesn't happen. Some coincidence just bring people together and nothing happens. So there was something about them, and I've never interviewed them. I haven't seen the question you're asking answered. It's a wonderful question. How similar were they in other ways? I don't know. Now let's talk about connections, because this this particular story seems to be about uh, creating of connections, and you have a you have a wonderful sec section of the book, the practical uses of coincidences. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about the five steps that are necessary to to engage the power of coincidence. Can you talk about that? Uh, what, does it, what does it take to notice coincidences? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good way of looking at it. That's that's your question. Right. Um, what does it take to to become involved with the coincidence? To, to notice them and be guided by them. Well, and that comes later. So uh, if I'm just, just talking to your dreamlanders, it's like uh, you got to like think there might be something useful to them. Uh, as you know very well, Whitley, and I know only too well, if somebody has a fixed belief about something, it's really hard to change their ideas. For example, people who know that coincidences are all random. I've got another psychiatrist talking to him about this. This guy knows they're all random and there's no break in him. So you, if you have a fixed view of coincidences that they're not useful, it's not worth trying to look at them, it's not gonna happen. But if you're open to the possibility of coincidences, then you're more likely to see them because as we also know from these days, if you believe something, that makes it true. And that's happening more and more about uh, elections being stolen, for example, that if you believe that, then that's true for you. If you believe that coincidences can be useful and fun and interesting and expand your curiosity and exercise your mind, which they all can do, then you know that they, then you know that you're going to be able to notice them because my research has shown that coincidences are quite common in people's everyday life. This is not like near death experiences or being visited, which you have described so beautifully, Whitley, if by outside something or others, we don't know. This is like everyday experiences. They're there. They happen. Will you notice them? So first you have to think they might be useful. After you start thinking they might be useful, you have to be then willing to compare what's in your mind with what's outside of your mind. So you need to be able to see, is there something similar between what I have been thinking, feeling, wondering about intuiting and what's happening out there? 
that similarity is very important. And we can get into, but I'm not going to, is what, how similar is similar? It's a tough question. Each of us decides how similar something is. Some people overdo seeing similarity. Some people underdo it. They don't see it at all because they make really fine distinctions and, and make those fine distinctions mean that two things are not parallel. So if you're willing to consider a parallel between outside and inside and that coincidences might be useful, that gets you started in being able to notice them. But another way they happen is like sometimes they just smash you in the head, which is what's happened to me. When I was eight or nine, I came home from school in Shaker Heights, Ohio, and my dog Snapper wasn't there. Business usually in the front row, front, front on the front lawn doing something. And I say, Hey, Ma, she was standing in front of the door, and I think she kind of knew it was a problem. And I said, Hey, Ma, where's Snapper? She had a quick answer. She said, I don't know. Go to the police station. Maybe they know. So, like a good son listening to his mother uh, back on my bike, went over past my elementary school, crossed the big road, which I'd never crossed before but I knew the police station was over there. Parked my bike, some stairs, a walkway, some more stairs, big door, push open the door, big door, big desk, big man behind the desk. I say, have you seen my dog? And I start to cry when I tell that sometimes, and I'm doing that now because he said, no, I haven't seen your dog, son. I have not seen your dog. So, I started crying, I started crying, started crying, went down the sidewalk and got down the stairs and got on my bike. But instead of going across the street, I was crying so much, I, I just took a right and went down the sidewalk along the big street rather than crossing it. And I look up, I see a dog. He's coming towards me. He's walking like Snapper. It was Snapper. He jumps up on my leg as if to say, where have you been? And we go home. Well, that was the first one. And it was so important for me to have that happen because I love that dog more than anybody. And I needed him because uh, I was a pretty lonely guy. We smelled the uh, mustard and ketchup and mayonnaise jars in the garbage behind the garage and other things together. Yeah, I remember doing that with my dog. Uh, Boys and dogs, girls and cats, girls and dogs. There's something very special going on there, for sure. (laughs) Yes, Whitley. So that got me. So as you can see, it's still with me. I mean, this is the way I Yeah, I can see the emotion in your... I could see the emotion in your face when you were talking. Uh, It's there. Now... He's still with me. So I was trying to say that that's one way you get started with this coincidence stuff. You know, for years, I haven't had this happen in a while, but for many, many years, my dog Candy died in uh, the early 80s. And she's And she, she and I were really very close. And for years after that, I would be sleeping and I'd feel Candy sleep. She used to sleep in bed with me and sleeping beside me and I'd be petting her and think to myself, God, I wonder how old Candy is. 
And I'd start doing some math in my head. Wait a minute, she can't be 45 and I would wake up and she'd be gone. And and used to say, you know, when I first went down to Texas and I saw you sleeping in that bed with your dog, we weren't married yet, so we didn't sleep in the same bed. I knew I had a rival. But Whitley, now the goat rival is a ghost and she's still here, but it's my bed. <laughs> so, um, well, let's talk a little bit about one other, another of these coincidences. Uh, these are all mind blowers, but this one is a particularly good one. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Um, now here I am. Oh yeah. Uh, trying to do my show and earth coincidence control office. E oh yeah. The, <laughs> Oh, let's talk about ECCO. You know, John Lilly probably. Yeah. Well, yeah. And this is, a, it has Ew. to do with John Lilly. Yeah. 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 This uh, this this was one of those really far out and groovy ones that uh is again it's on YouTube. You can you can see the the interview with the person who tells the story. Uh it's a um he was a he was a man that was dying of brain cancer. Of he was got metastases to his his brain of a very difficult to treat neuroblastoma. Um, and what was he going to do about it? So he, his name was Adam Twombly, Trombley, and he uh, was an internationally acknowledged expert in the fields of physics, atmospheric dynamics, geophysics, a lot of other things. And in the early 1990s, Adam had stage four neuroblastoma uh, that was getting all over him. Um, uh, while Adam was visiting John and why he went to visit John with all his problems, nobody knows, but uh, he, John Lilly was a neuroscientist and psychonaut and one of the early psychonauts, which refers to people. Um, I would call you a psychonaut, Whitley, uh, just exploring consciousness because it's so much fun and see what's out there and see what's in there both. Uh, Adam described what happened in an interview that took place about 14 years later, and you can see it on YouTube. Uh, he had received a call from his daughter, then for, age 13. John Lilly was in the next room meditating during the phone call. When John rejoined Adam, John said, Echo says you will recover. Now, Echo in, in Italian and Latin is like, behold. So, But here, John meant Earth Coincidence Control Office. As if, uh, you know, I have some idea. Sometimes these coincidences happen and people say, well, it's God that's doing it. And some people say it's something else. But for John, it was like Echo does all the coincidences here on Earth. That's their job. And Echo says, you have too much work to do. So an hour or so later, Adam was alone in John's home when the doorbell rang. A physician introduced himself to Adam saying, that during his meditation, the physician's meditation, a voice told him to come to his house. And uh, Dreamlanders, I hope you get dream, get words or voices come to you because they're not that uncommon. And doesn't make you crazy. It means maybe there's something you got to listen to. So this guy listened to it and brought his medical bag to John's house that the voice told him to go to. 
He'd never been to John's house before. And for some reason, he had an old version of ketamine, not what we got now. Uh, and the physician administered intramuscular ketamine to Adam. Now, why Adam? Can you mind let this... remind us just what ketamine is? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's uh, good. Ketamine, <laughs> it was used to be used as a tranquilizer. Um, right. Uh, in... in uh, in anesthesia, but uh, it's gotten uh, psychedelic use so that some people who have, uh, who are treated psychedelic, treated by ketamine for depression, for example, it's a very, it's a commonly used thing for depression, which still has some, some ways to go to show that it works. But in some people, you don't have to inject it. You can snort it with a, with a, a nasal spray, and it seems to help relieve severe depression that nothing else does. Okay, but so also, what we're dealing with here, folks, is a drug that has a some kind of a tranquilizing effect. It can relieve depression. It's somewhat psycho, psycho, uh, hallucinogenic. There's where we are. Okay, let's go on with the story. All, you got them. That's all those things. Yeah. So John imagined that his physician was sent by this, by his friend John and perhaps by Echo. So he thought that Echo gave John the message to send and, and gave the physician the message to come to John's house. Subsequently, the cancer went into remission for several years and an effective treatment was later found. So something put the cancer into remission, the ketamine apparently, and he, it's an amazing story because it was like some at some level, his life wasn't supposed to end then. Yeah. How many stories do we all know of people whose lives were unexpectedly saved and perhaps because it simply wasn't time for them to end? Now, I want to go on to another one, and I, and I want to, but I'm going to lead into it in a funny way. Well, it won't be a funny way. It'll turn out to make a lot of sense. Um, I hope. Uh <laughs> I'm not dancing like a bus this morning. So, so uh, here's, here's the situation. The earth is, exact, is in the band of distance from the sun that enables it to harbor life. This distance is only about 50,000 miles wide. If we were any closer to the sun or any farther from the sun, there would be no life here. The planet has a rotation that is such that if it didn't have this rotation, it, it, the, it, the, the way the planet rotates in relation to the moon slows down the rotational winds of the earth. If the moon wasn't there in precisely the place it is, given its size, the rotational wind would either be too slow or too fast, and we would not have life on Earth. So these are very delicately, delicately measured relationships. Now, why don't you tell us about the sun and the moon and why it is they are the same size. 
Uh, thanks for that moon wind uh, description. Uh, it's really important to, to put what you just, just described in the context of lots of other really fine-tuned aspects to having life here on Earth, that uh, without which um, we wouldn't exist, as you are suggesting. And these there are many others, and it's really like uh, uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. The porridge is not too hot. It's not too cold. It's just right. And we've just got, gotten into this just right thing. Uh, one of the fun things about the moon is how is it created? You've probably talked with people who think the moon was was manufactured by something, some entity. And it's a fun way of thinking about things. And there's some evidence to suggest that might be true. But the standard way of thinking about how the moon got to where it is, is that pieces of the earth in its earliest form broke off and then coalesced and became the moon. And what a convenient thing to make it so that the, that the winds created by the moon were just right for us. Another part of this whole puzzle. Well, I ask you to pay attention, Dreamlanders, to a very, very simple thing, much, more, much simpler than this, one that you don't have to go to a physics book to read about or astronomy book to read about. You can see it yourself. And I love those coincidences where you can see them yourselves. From where we stand, we know that the moon and the sun are 93 million miles apart. Yet, from where we look at them, they appear to be exactly the same size. And how do you know that? When there's the moon comes in front of the sun, we have a solar eclipse, eclipse of the moon, and the moon blocks out the sun. So they are just about the same size. What a coincidence. Or is it really a coincidence? Is it, is it somehow able to be explained somehow? Now, the meaning of that coincidence, I can't quite get to in a very speculative way, but in a very simple way, talking about meanings of coincidences. There's both usefulness and there's explanation. I will talk about the usefulness of the moon-sun similarity in size. And the usefulness is, it's saying to us earthlings, pay attention to coincidences. Pay attention. So when you look at them, you have to then ask another question, if you will. If the moon was formed from pieces of the earth's crust and coalesced over millions of years to form the moon we now see, the moon had moved slowly from the Earth into its current orbit, and it, it's still moving an uh, inch or so every once in a while further away. The second coincidence is a meta-coincidence that we are existing on this planet at a time when we can notice that the moon and the sun are the same size. So there's a coincidence now of our consciousness being able to look up and see that similarity. And to, and to discover in astronomy that they are not, in fact, anything close to the same size. So that we, under, we, we see that there's a structure of some kind here, or are we reading something into it? And the, the answer is, we don't actually know why the moon is exactly where it is. 
uh, there's some talk that the that the size of the moon dictates exactly how far it would be away from the Earth, orbiting the Earth. But then you have to get into the amount of kinetic energy that was involved in pushing that material out into orbit. It, and it is material that came from the Earth. In fact, the crater is still on the Earth. The crater is called the Pacific Ocean. And pretty big crater. Uh, yeah, and uh, but 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 still, behind all of that, there's something else. And you have a wonderful section in the book that talks about, and you were just beginning to allude to it, coincidences inspire wonder and curiosity. And how do we note it? We, we've talked off and on over the course of the show about noticing coincidences. Uh, give us some techniques because it, you know, it, 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 when I was at my mother's funeral, it just crossed my mind. Wait a minute, we're in the same house that mama was born in. And I wonder where she was born. In other words, I noticed it. It was there and would have been there had I not noticed it. If we noticed all of the coincidences in our lives, would we be living in a web of coincidence or would randomness still even be part of life bernard there's no either or there um that rather than use the term random i'd use the word probability each coincidence has a probability we don't know how to measure it but each coincidence has a probability and most of them a lot of them have mystery in them so there is we are caught between mystery and and uh and probability and in between is us. So when we have us, and there you are at your mother's funeral, and you notice this coincidence, what you're illustrating is, is helping people recognize that there are certain times in life, like that sine wave we were talking about earlier, certain times in life when there are more likely to be coincidences in your life. And those times can be characterized by three three aspects and different proportions one is a dramatic a, is a change or a stress in life like a stressful life event and you just were in a stressful life event your mother had just died when that happens there are increases in coincidences. I, I think you'll understand and go for this metaphor, like this web of life that we're talking about that we get locked into, our normal routines of things gets ripped open. Quotidian reality is by the side and this web gets torn open and new stuff can come in. And that's what happened with you. The regular reality web was torn. Your mother had died. In addition, need increases coincidences like when you've lost something or you need to do something and you need to have some help in doing it like i needed somebody to help me market my book in charlottesville virginia and a coincidence brought me to people i'd never met before and we had a great conversation and on labor day we're having a coincidence book party i mean this stuff just happens i needed it and there it was and I can, there's more details than that, obviously. And there's also uh, high emotion. And you were in high emotion when your mother died. So high emotion, need, and major life stressors 
and the book lists some of the major life stressors. Uh, one of the biggest ones is losing a spouse. And another one that's not so big, that's 100 in the scale. And below that, at the lowest, is going on vacation. Because going on vacation also breaks things open and makes things more possible. So life stressors, need, and high emotion increase the likelihood of coincidences. So for Dreamlanders, you know, if you're going through any of those, uh, look around more carefully. Yeah, it's true. It, when you're in those situations, it, 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 it's, it's a, an important thing to do to look around more carefully because there is a, there's a real sense of support at some level in the universe. I, I feel like, um, there's something that wants us and, and, and within us and within the universe around us that wants our lives to be as rich as possible. I, I really feel that very strongly. Now, I want to talk to you. I've talked to I've actually, I believe I've heard. Let, 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 me, no. su let me suggest something else right there. Sure, but, please. Because I... One of the most important points I make in the book is that not all coincidences are good or apparently good. It's very important to know that some of them are a little bit of problem. One is called the, the one is like uh, it's all meant to be. And I call them the, the pesky false promises coincidences. It looks like it's going to be great. And then it turns out to be not so great. And sometimes it's not so good at all for either person. And there's more than that to it, but I'd like to make, ask people to be discriminating, to not always believe that a coincidence is being designed for your benefit, because some of them are not, and you have to be able to pick out what might be useful to you and what not, might not be. Well, you know, that, that brings up in my mind the two-girlfriend problem, which uh, when I was in college... What's the two-girlfriend problem? Well, when I was in college... Now you're looking like my best friend from high school. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> when, when one of us ended up with two girlfriends and the two girlfriends both thought they were the only girlfriend, the two girlfriend problem applied. It meant that no matter how hard we try, no matter how careful we were, no matter how improbable, even if one of the girlfriends lived in Japan and the other one lived in Texas where we were going to school, at some point, we were going to walk into a room with one of the girlfriends and the other girlfriend was going to be there, or we were going to walk into a room alone and see the two girlfriends sitting together talking to each other. And it happened again and again and again. We lived in terror of the two girlfriend problem. Uh, now... So that's 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 a meaningful coincidence. All that's right. great. That's a great example. <laughs> not not great. necessarily a good one, um, as the side of my head can um, attest. Uh, so, uh, okay, let's go on now. We're coming up pretty close to the end of the show. We've got time for Michael Shermer. Now, oh, years. Good. Oh, years, oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, this is a great one. Years. I was ago, I was wondering if you could get to him. Okay. Yeah, we were going to get there for sure. Okay. Years and years ago, when Bill Maher was still on ABC, and this is now a long time ago, he arranged a debate between me and Michael Shermer. Oh, really? On oh. his show. And coincidentally... Oh, that must have been so funny. 
It was, well, I'll tell you what happened. Okay. And this seemed to be just a coincidence. As I walked in to the studio, I overheard Bill Maher explaining to Michael Shermer how he intended to trip me up <laughs> and how Michael was going to win the debate. And so I listened to this. And when we went on the show, little did they know that I had their whole strategy. And I won the debate. After the show, Michael Shermer jumped up and went rushing out of the studio in a fury. And I thought to myself, what a fascinating coincidence. How useful that was to me and to all of the people who had needed a chance to see the wonder of what I was describing and to at least entertain it as a possibility. All right, now he's a great guy. That said, he's a- Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, well, okay. Wait, 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 wait. That's too good to let go like that. Um, one of the principles I have in this book is human GPS or internal GPS. Yeah. You, which it, you just illustrated, you got to the right place at the right time to hear what you needed to hear. Oh, my whole life is like that. I, if I didn't have internal GPS, I'd be under, I'd be six feet under by now. So, so this is, this is my life. I mean, I could tell you 10 incidences that have happened in the, just the past couple of months, but you know, it's because I've learned to do this. I've learned to do what you're teaching. And uh, that's why I'm so excited. One of, another reason about why I'm so excited having Bernard on the show. Folks, it works. I mean, I live it. It works. Now let's go on. Let's go to Michael, a great guy, by the way, of, of, of a wonderful sense of humor, among other things. He's the founder of the Skeptic Society and the magazine Skeptic, if it's still going. I, one asks always, wonders about magazines these days. All right. He wrote an article in Scientific American in 2014 where he says... I just witnessed an event so mysterious that it shook my skepticism. Why don't you tell us the rest of this story? Michael was about to marry Jennifer Graff from Germany. She had been raised by her mother. But... Her grandfather, Walter, was the closest father figure she had growing up, but he died when she was 16. His 1978 Philips transistor radio was part of a collection of his belongings that Jennifer had kept and which Michael had set out to bring back to life for his new wife after decades of muteness. Unsuccessful, he just put the radio away in the back of a desk drawer in their bedroom. They were married on June 25th, 2014 in Michael's home. Being 9,000 kilometers from family, friends, and home, Jennifer was feeling lonely. She wanted her grandfather to give her away. Then as the ceremony was about to begin, they heard music playing in the bedroom. They followed the sound to the desk in the bedroom. When Jennifer opened the desk drawer and pulled out her grandfather's transistor radio, it was playing a love song. Jennifer says, my grandfather is here with us. 
I'm not alone. Later that night, they fell asleep to the sound of classical music coming from Walter's radio. The radio stopped working the next day and has remained silent ever since. Now, I'd like to, I'd like to talk about how to explain this one because Michael was kind of thrown off. Uh, he's a skeptic. He knows it's all, if he knows it's all random, he's been saying that a lot, but this one was too hard for him. What woke up the dormant radio? He didn't know. He had to come up with an explanation. Was it the change in humidity or temperature or vibration by all the people in the house? Uh, it was hard to impossible, hard to impossible to account for this in conventional terms because it occurred right before the ceremony began. Timing is so important in life and in coincidences. Michael thought that if it happened to someone else, he'd say it's the law of large numbers, that weird stuff happens in large populations. A favorite idea of, of rational people who want to say it's all random. He called it law of large numbers. He really meant truly large numbers, truly large numbers. The law of large numbers is real. It can be proven. You can look that up on Wikipedia. But the tr law of truly large number is a made-up one by uh, a magician-turned-statistician at Stanford. So any weird thing can happen anytime is what they wanted to be able to say to it. But because Jennifer had such a great feeling, he had to wonder about that. So uh, later in a book um, called Heaven and Earth, he came up with another idea of that there was a wormhole to another dimension that uh, might explain that well-timed love song. Uh, a wormhole to another dimension that was related to a sci-fi film called Interstellar. So Michael thought perhaps Grandfather Walter exists in another dimension where he and Jennifer are in contact all time at all times of her life simultaneously. And he uses gravitational waves from the wormhole to run the old radio. Now, that's Michael's sci-fi based on some, some scientific, supposedly, ideas. How about a little simpler one that happens just right here, Michael, where Jennifer's need for her grandfather's presence was psych psychokinetically turned that radio on. How about that one? How about that one? And maybe there is something floating around out there that is her grandfather that was activated that helped that happen. But I say on Earth within the psychosphere. Which would you rather have, psychokinesis or a wormhole to explain it? Well, you know, I would think it might be her father, her grandfather himself who did it. The reason How? being, well, I, I don't know, but the, I, in my life, the dead are very much with us. I, I've got. Uh, you're good. Good. Go ahead. No, I'm serious. I mean, I've I wear two rings for a reason. My wife has passed on, but she's still very actively involved here. And I can I showed that in a book called Afterlife Revolution. There is a there is another there is more, in in my opinion. And I uh, think that I, I think that's right. I agree with you. So I think that. Um, that's the one part of it that Michael couldn't address. He had to come up with some reason other than that, because that implies survival of the uh, 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 of, of something other than the physical body. And he can't stay in the skeptic camp if he 
suggests that. That's what the whole parallel universe and so forth thing was about. Uh, well, he, although, insisted that it, he insisted it be a wormhole where the yeah. grandfather could communicate. Yeah, in other words, that her, in some other universe, her, her, her grandfather's not dead. And maybe it's true. I mean, he, and here's where we're going we're gonna to conclude, folks, because we've been talking together a long time, and uh, I, I don't know about what it's like where you are, Dreamlanders, but where this Dreamlander is, it's hot as the dickens. And I, I live in an unair conditioned community. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. So oh, it's no. really hot in here. And in any case, we've come to the end of our time together anyway. I could talk for hours more about this stuff. But it is very clear that we live in, in, in a web of meaning. Not all of that meaning is pretty, as you referred to earlier, but it is all meaningful. This isn't a random universe. We didn't get lost out here in the stars by accident. There's a meaning to the five billion years it took Earth to create us. There's a meaning to the way our planet and our sun and our moon operate together. And as a matter of fact, to the, the, the gas giants out in the, out in the outer solar system that keep us from being pulverized by asteroids. Hmm. Uh, I mean, unless you're a dinosaur, in which case you, one of them got through. Uh, but it hasn't happened since. It's been 65 million years after all. So there's meaning here. There's meaning in your life, my life, in Bernard's life, even in Michael Shermer's life. And we touched a little bit on it today, folks. We touched on the wonder of it with these marvelous stories of coincidence I want to thank you, Bernard, for being with us. Don't forget, folks, his book is Meaningful Coincidences. And his website, you say the website name, because I find that when I say it, people goes in one ear and out the other. They hear me all the time. When the, when the guest says it, 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 it clicks. Well, remember that each of you who experiences coincidences is a coincider. And look at the term coincider, co-insider. You're also inside of something together, as Good. well as co <laughs> coincider.com. Right. Go to coincider.com and uh, sign up for the coincidence experiment. I didn't notice it cost anything, so why not? I mean, you, you, you're going to have a lot of fun, and it might be serious fun. Good, the kind of fun that we all need more of in our life. Thanks for being with us, Bernard. You're very, very welcome. It's been a delight to meet you and talk with you and exchange heartfelt energy with you. Oh, same here, same here. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by Unknown Country.